You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. So, Sid Talk. Correct. What do you think about podcasting and its validity as an entertainment source? Oh my God. Why am I on the. This is a part of the before the after the show discussion? We should introduce that to the people. You were talking about your hero. I was talking, yeah. Howard Stern thinks that podcasting is bullshit, that's not hard enough. I can't help but my chair's going to click because I'm moving. Either you want me closer to the microphone or you don't. Closer, please. Okay. It comes with noises because my chair makes noises. Howard Stern thinks podcasting is like basically a skillless, talentless hack into the world of quote unquote broadcasting. Because Howard Stern is from like the 1920s. He thinks <laughs> no. we're still broadcasting. What he's doing is he does the exact same freaking thing as anybody else who sits on YouTube or does a podcast or write does his little, their little vlogs or whatever it is who try to tell their own little version of the, their story of the world and bring whatever it is. You know, everyone from PewDiePie to me and you to Howard Stern. I'm not saying everyone's the same quality. No, or, we're, we're, we're very low quality. We're not low quality, and I'm not saying... I think that's an unfair thing to say. I don't think it's a no, matter of quality, and I don't think it's a matter of how many people. If that's his goal, that broadcasting is about reaching the you know millions and millions of people and look how great I am, then he's wrong. Because more people can watch one person on YouTube now than listen to Howard Stern in the whole world. Now, he knows that. And uh, I agree with him. I I can understand where he's coming from. Um, he dismisses podcasts totally. One of the people on his staff does a podcast and he just thinks it's ridiculous that he does it, right? So he dismisses them totally. Are they shitty? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yes, I listened to it. Yes, <laughs> well, there shitty. you go. But, so um, his measure of a podcaster is some shit guy who wants to be Howard well, Stern. Well, he's heard Adam Carolla's podcast, and he has Adam Carolla on the... Adam Carolla has the biggest podcast in the world, right? The most listeners, at least. He dismisses that one, even, saying that nobody's going to get rich making a podcast. So Howard's thing See, is about motivation, making motivation, yeah. So I would put it to him, I don't want to make anything from a podcast. I just do it for fun. And he said this week, somebody phoned in and said, I do a podcast, don't do it for anything, don't even get any money for it. Same as us. Yeah. Um, he said... We get the DVDs, let's be honest. Yeah. Fair, fair point, we get the DVDs. Howard said, he's fine with that, but you won't get anywhere with it. It's kind of pointless. You might as well use your time elsewhere. That's like elsewhere. saying your hobby is pointless. Yeah. That's like saying watching, listening to music is pointless. Because if it gives you pleasure, and that's the thing that... If you're doing it, like, or making a painting. I draw and do artwork and stuff. I don't sell it. I don't make any money off of it. I do loads of it. It's, and I... it's like saying you'll never be as good as Rembrandt, so don't bother. Yeah, and I'm not sure that Rembrandt was that successful in his time. Anyway, Picasso wasn't successful in his time. Pollock was barely successful. These are names of artists that people have heard of, even if they don't give a shit about art. That people will die penniless, and a hundred years later, someone discovers, quote-unquote, their artwork, and then decides in a snooty way, blah, 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 and now their painting's worth $100,000. So you can't say, well, that person was, a perf- was like, the measure of what an artist should be, if your measure is money. And it shouldn't be. A lot of um, the entertainment I, I take on board 
is podcasts from Mm -hmm. just people. I listen to six or seven different podcasts during a week, and they're just people. Some of them are like Giant Bomb is like a website that are making money, but they are just people. Like it it didn't start from some we have to make this business. It started from we're just a bunch of people. Well, it probably was. I mean, let's be honest, the guy got fired or quit his job, and then it was like, now what do I do? He can't just do it for free. So, yes, But they did that podcast before that. There's a difference where you feel like this person or this group of people are trying to basically do that thing where you tap into what's popular with people, what people like, therefore we make money off of it. So we're just going to do that thing, even if that thing is not something they're interested in. Making coffee, making art, selling music, promoting bands. Maybe they hate music, but they're like, hey, that's what's hot right now. Let's do this. Be a movie producer. There will be those type of yeah, people. Yeah, but when someone just is doing it, because you know Giant Bomb guys are like, annoyingly, as grown men, that's probably the only freaking thing they know how to do. <laughs> yeah. Play video games, talk about video games, and write about video games. I find that a little bit boring, but I'm not a video game freak. So I think Powder Stern is, as in many situations, full of shit. Yeah, but I can see his point because he is from the old days of radio and he sees it as a craft and a skill and he doesn't like, oh, somebody can just do it now. Like, yeah, that's... Will Laporte is probably the same age as Howard and has moved on with technology. From radio to... He moves on yeah. with what he knows what he likes, and how to make a business out of it at the same time. He doesn't dog everybody for doing it. He embraces it. And I'm sure he was on radio. He was on TV. He was a he was one of the radio guys who Howard would have hated. Like the, hey, everybody, hey, is yeah. easy. He was one of those guys. So I'm not saying he's super high quality. I'm right. just saying that he's about the same age. So the generational thing is irrelevant, I think. It's just your mind. And also, but look at me. I want to be king of all media. If you little shit for brains in your bedroom you're 10 years old and you've got <laughs> and you're just funny and doing your thing and, you and all of a sudden 30 million yeah, listeners i resent you because i didn't have that I when i was what, 10 i think that's what part of it is yeah, yeah. old-fashioned well, that's the before the after the show discussion all right so it is saturday april the 18th this is after the show number 372 and the movie we're looking at this week is Gone Girl, David Fincher's new movie. It's a 2014 movie. It's actually out now. You can pick it up. It's rated R for mature. <laughs> is that, R for what? Restricted? Is that what it means? Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's rated R. So, Sid Talk, give us a synopsis of Gone Girl. Um, let's talk about spoilers before we start this. We're trying not to be spoilery, but... You never know. It's tough. So let's um, say, if you've not seen it, go and see it. Come back. Yeah. Yes. Because I don't like giving spoilers either, but I can't control what you people do. If you listen to this, and at the end of it, you're like, they ruined the whole thing for me. Well, you are just like Howard Stern, full of S-H-I-T. Okay. Synopsis for this one's tough, but it boils down to this. An effed up marriage. (laughs) A man is married to a woman, the woman goes missing, thus gone girl. And there is a very interwoven thing between everybody's motivations about, I don't know, it's hard to synopsize, but that's it. Woman goes missing, and then we unravel the mystery of her going missing. I think Tyler Perry's character, who plays the lawyer guy, puts it best. And he says fucked up when he said fucked up people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I oh, think you're the one lowering the standards today. I do think that is pretty. That should be the tagline, really. Yeah, 
So, uh, I've been a fan of David Fincher for a long time. Um, I think he's one of the great filmmakers um, in terms of visuals and, you know, crafting a story together in an interesting way. What I thought about this movie, uh, just for its style to start with, it was a lot like one of David Fincher's other movies. Um, what what was that one called about? the Zo- Oh, Zodiac. Yeah. It was that, it was... Very de- like that movie, Zodiac, where it's um, quite a slow-paced movie. And it's very deliberate. All the shots are very deliberate. And it's like a procedural, you know, it unfolds very slowly. But with that, what I think Finch is good at, and this is this movie's nearly three hours long, is he gives himself, oh, you know, I can't be, I don't want to be a 90-minute film. I'm going to be as long as it needs to be. And he seems to always do that. And it makes makes the films feel more substantial. And this is a adaptation of the novel Gone Girl. It makes it feel like a novelized movie, if you know what I mean. Like long. Methodical. And detailed. Like super detailed. Like if you did this in a 90 minute movie, it'd come across like a, just an action movie or like a suspense thriller, like Basic Instinct or something. But it's not. It's more thoughtful and interesting than that um did you read the book gone girl or did you know anything about the book gone girl before this this is an interview by a, with a stranger i don't read books that's my answer right i didn't even know it existed no i do have I don't the read book. books i don't read books i put the book on my uh, uh nook and just never got around to reading it uh and i'm glad i didn't now because this is the kind of movie where if you did know, if you had read the book, it wouldn't, it works on not knowing. It's mm-hmm. the not knowing the thing. Yeah. And it's twisted and turny and there's a lot of times where I was like, oh wow, what's going on now? Like it, it really moves along and goes around corners a lot. If you knew all that, I think it might be fairly uninteresting to watch. Aside from it being gorgeous and Fincher with his natural light thing and, you know, it looks amazing. And the acting is Incredible. Yeah, very good. You know a Fincher movie. It's just, like, detailed and... I don't know. I think it's not Fincher-esque. Oh, I think it is highly Fincher-esque. Every shot, every... The lighting, specifically, that orangey kind of, like, you know, muted, you know, only have a couple of lights in a room. It's like, he's... He's not the only one who does that. No, but it's very trademark him. If you think of the girl with the dragon tattoo, his last movie, that looks like that, too. It, It... Go with the Dragon. I don't know. He, he's been choosing. That was another book um, that he chose to do, and, and and that was supposed to be a trilogy, but he dropped it. Did he? Yeah, that was another film that um, I really liked, and it's got a very. If you think about it, Go with the Dragon Tattoo. It's got a very similar tone to this movie. Like it's it's quite grim and it's very like fucked. Like there's there's a scene in this movie. This one. You know, you know which one I mean. I'm just, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. pantomiming it to you. That scene is very much in the tone and and shockingness of. There's a scene in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. There's a very similar. T- it gives you this guttural like feeling to to your, like holy crap that just I saw that very graphically. Fincher knows how to do that. He even did it in Fight Club. You know, it, even the you know when they fighting each other in Fight Club and busting each other's noses and stuff. You feel like definitely. Stuff. He, like, he doesn't shy away from the violence. And he did that in this one. So what did you think of Gone Girl? 
can't say really enjoy, because that's the wrong word, but I really, I get really sucked in. Now, I say this often about watching movies, seeing a lot of movies. I was, I don't know, everybody's brains are different. But it's not, it's not shocking to me, the different twists and turns. I'm never confused, really, by it. There's Not confused, but more like, I didn't, there's a twist in this movie that I didn't see. Like, and I wasn't thinking along those lines, and it was the opposite to what I was thinking kind of thing. Right. So there is some of that. It depends how you think, I guess. Yeah. If it, if it was... If so it was already... never like, oh, wow. Oh, my God. Like, it was never like that, but I think that was supposed to be. Yeah, I was. There was a moment where that But happens. I like that it digs deep into how we think people should react. And maybe how we've seen people in movies react for the last hundred years, and therefore we've sort of modeled our behavior on dramatic reactions. And obviously you would leave a person if they did this or that, or obviously you would want to kill the person if they did this or that. But would we? All? And I like that it takes a... That's the difference from... That was the different thing for me. Just like not always having the person do what you're... The decision that you think they're going to make. I think it's crafted quite well. The way it unravels in the slow manner is good because you. I, I went through a journey with the characters myself of like, I actually quite like Ben Affleck. Uh, not Ben Affleck. I actually quite like uh, his Nick. character. Yeah. Nick. Yeah. Um, now I'm, you know, and then I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, I like his sister. I like it. Oh, now I don't... Now one piece of information is revealed. And I'm like, okay, I might not like him, but I need a bit more. And the information comes slowly, but it keeps coming. Like, it's like a thread. And and you're... The way you look at both characters, the both the main characters, um, is different all the time. It was like I was going one way with a character going, okay, I can see why. Oh, I can't see why you would go that far. But, you know, it's... Yeah. It's just like this... It's like a thin thread stretched out with all these little knots in it and these knots are always like uh now i think something different now i think something different now i think something i really liked how that was and that's how the book was constructed i guess and part of the theme is that people are very easily led by a little bit of information so you just fell right into their hands yeah i I, I don't i've not read the book i don't feel like it was some kind of masterpiece book i feel like it was it's it feels a bit pulpy like a just a you know, let's be cool. Like, go with a dragon tattoo, even. It's not a great piece of literature, but people hooked onto it because it was twisted, you know? Like, people like twisted. This feels like it was going for twisted in a big way. Like, how twisted can I be when I write this piece? Like American Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a great piece of literature, either. But there's something about it where you just constantly... Because it is so twisted. You can't believe what you're reading when you read American Psycho. And you you Mm -hmm. say you don't read books. You did read American Psycho. Yeah, it was like ten years ago. Yeah. (laughs) America, if I have to recommend Yeah, like the but, last book I read. No, the last book I read was a zombie book. And before that was American Psycho. <laughs> I have to recommend American Psycho, the book, also the film. The film's very different animal to the book. Agreed. But they are both really interesting in their own way. The book, because it's one of the most effed up things you've ever read. I mean, it, it it's so graphic. Let's hope, let's and, hope it's one of the most effed Yeah, it, I mean, it's so graphic and... I, when they said they're making a film, I said to you, there's no way they could make a film. This, and then the film cleverly took a different approach to the literature 
but still captured it. It sounds like it went the opposite of Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Gone Girl went, um... You said that people say the novel is quite comical, but the movie is not. Right. Like, it's humorous in the way it does it. So it's like American Psycho. Also, it's humorous in the book, because you're sort of torn between... But that is hilariously horrible. Like, that's kind of Because he cracks jokes in, in the, even in yeah. the book. He says funny things. Um, but David Fincher, I don't... If you think of all David Fincher's movies, he doesn't really go for the humor aspect. Fight Club does have a little bit of humor in it, but it's super dark, the humor. He doesn't really go for, like, any laughs. And there are no laughs in this movie, I would say. Zero. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> there might be one or two at the beginning when he's talking to his sister in the bar, but it's just snappy witty. That's a... That's a I love this movie. I really love it. It's like really high. But there is the Gillian Flynn, I believe she's called, who wrote the book. She wrote the screenplay. And there are moments when the characters are talking to each other where I feel that they're reading a novel to each other. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not natural speech coming out of their mouths. And at the beginning, actually, interestingly enough, the first 10 minutes or so, um, it was worse than it, and it, it dropped off. Like, uh, the characters became, like, just ordinary speaking people, right? Later on. The beginning part. Him speaking yeah, to his sister. Yeah, it's a little too bantery. Him speaking to his sister was really... It felt like I was having a novel acted out in front of me. You know, specifically like, yeah, let's just read the page and say it to each other. Also, the the first time you see Rosamund Pike and um, Ben Affleck together... There's also a weird dialogue that nobody speaks to each other. Exactly. Like yep. So it feels fake in a way. Like it, that was the only criticism I had, and there was quite a lot of it where I was like, "Wow, do people really speak to each other like that?" I've never seen anybody or met anybody that speaks like that. And I know these two, and they're a couple, were supposed to have this unique relationship together, and they were, you know, slightly both odd in their own way. But it just felt forced a little bit. Um, like it was off the pages of the book. But then I guess when they're really getting down to the nitty gritty, that they're another one of the themes is the the idea of what I am, and the idea of what you want to be to impress me or be impressive to me or whatever is different than what I am. Yeah. And those dialogue, that dialogue could be that it's just this fabricated. That's turning me on because it's uh, it's not like like when he meets her at the party. Yeah. that dialogue between them is absolutely not. It's 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 a not, somebody. It's as wrote if that someone novel. wrote the novel, read the novel, and then went to a party and knew that that woman over there and, read and just, the novel and yeah. decided to quote it to her. Yeah, to be funny. That's what it felt like. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I had a little bit of a problem with that. And you know, you can have that problem with Quentin Tarantino as well. There's scenes in and Quentin Kevin Smith. Yeah, there are scenes in Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, specifically, de- think of Death Proof and think of the girls talking at the table. Yep. It is like Quentin Tarantino wrote the script down and then said to everybody, read it exactly off this script. Nobody make it feel natural at all. Make it feel like you're reading this page to each other. I don't think that's how he says it. Uh, I'm not saying that's how he says. <laughs> I'm saying that's how it comes across. Like, And that's how this movie comes across. Like, It's, it's like nobody can step off the... There's no improvisation. It's like, this is what we're doing, and this is what we're doing. And and because the lady who wrote the novel wrote the screenplay, and she's probably an expert in writing the novels, it, it, it translates as like she's writing another novel for people to speak. 
And that's something where I was like, eh, maybe she isn't the person for a screenplay. Because writing a screenplay is a difficult thing. Right. But when we when you think about these characters and how, you know, how we're going to end up with them, how they're going to end up with each other, that the way they're behaving when they meet is all fabricated. Yeah, it is. So I think that's 100% accurate for them. Brother and sister is different because they're just brother and sister. Right. That's where it comes from. That part, I understand, because they are trying to both sort of preen up to each other. And that's the funny thing. The brother and sister conversation in the bar at the beginning is unlike any other conversation they have. (laughs) Yeah, Ever. So I was like, wow, they're not... I was thinking, his sister, she's talking to him in a natural way. They they sat in his apartment talking. And I was like, wow, why did they used to speak to each other like that? I guess because before... Everything was cool. Nothing was happening. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Then the shit hits a fan, and there's a whole different thing to talk about. So I can understand that, too. But aside from that, I think it's a well-constructed movie. It looks gorgeous. Um, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross soundtrack is... It just works. Like, in all David Finch... I mean, obviously, Finch has started using him in everything now. Soundtrack and score. But it's different. This one's different than The Social Network. It's more... And different than... He also did Dragon Tattoo. It's a little more grown up. Yeah, it's a lot of piano and and also really cool that it's not overwhelming. It, the only you lose is it sparingly. Like it's not always. Yeah, there are doing. times when you think you're hearing vehicles backing up. Yeah, you know what? I could not. hear a lot of fax machine. It, there was like it, in one of the pieces there was yeah. a fax machine like connecting or a, or a modem or something. There's a yeah. lot of weird noises in there, and I just think it really worked. It was it was. It was actually when he when they go to Neil Patrick Harris's, uh, you know, yeah, den that there was a lot of electronical sounds, and I think that was on purpose, obviously, because there are a lot of electronical things there. Um, electronical is that a word? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it is because you just said it, but I don't think it's. So yeah, this is a really high quality film. Um, I think if you'd not read the book, it would play better because that's what I was just looking at people's reactions to it, and the people who had read that it was a divide kind of thing. There was people who read the book who said, no, we really liked the film. It was very well made. It just didn't capture the book properly. And that's usually what people say who read books, right? Um, and then there was the people who didn't read the book and just saw the film. And that was a split in half, too. There was people who said, this is fantastic. Fincher is just a genius. Like, it, like his construction of a film is just exactly what I want to see. And then there were other people who were like, um, what a boring piece of It was crap. very boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it was three hours I want back kind of thing. Um, so if you can't take a slow-moving, thoughtful drama, which is what it is, right? It's a drama. Definitely. Yeah. Um, this isn't your kind of film. But if you like a David Fincher film and you like something thought-provoking and, you know, interesting, this is quite grown up for him, I think. I, I, I feel like... A lot of the time, like with David Fincher, I think Zodiac's a very grown-up film too for him, though. But I think some of his films go with The Dragon Tattoo and Fight Club. They're quite, you know, they're not they're they're um, to make you excited. They're, they're, they're more that kind of film, like Fight Club, especially. It's very crowd pleaser type movie. This isn't. It's more artistic in a way. Um. I don't know. He Fincher's like honed this thing along his career, and now it's what his thing has become is this. It's very distinctive. It's it's his cinematography. It's the way the story moves. It's the broodingness of everything, and it's 
Trent Reznor's Articus Ross's score. Like it, that, that is what it is. Like Wes Anderson has his thing. So it's your overall vibe from it. That it's moody, exactly like all these other movies, which is fa- which is good because that's what he does. Like even from going all the way back with David Fincher to Panic Room, which is a Hollywood blockbustery ninety minute kind of fun ride kind of movie, but still has David Fincher stamped all over it. You know? I don't feel like it does, but I wasn't that big of a David Fincher person. And The Game, which was way before that, mm-hmm. um, is another one where it's just a Hollywoody movie with like a high concept. He has a thing that I think he has, he has a thing about people being deceptive. Like a deep, dark secret inside of everybody. Yeah, there's exactly. always a, every person yeah, just... has the bad side of town inside of them, like the dark side of town where you will go do bad things and lie and deceive and you know that there's a a nighttime to everybody that he likes to find and then make you realize that doesn't make you bad. It just makes you like a person, like a whole person. Nobody is the Stepford wife. Nobody's the perfect, and nobody's 100% horrible. And he always brings that out, if you think about it. There's always secrets. True. Always that dark And, and you know, these are not films that he wrote or anything. He, he usually adapts stuff. I, even Fight Club was not his idea. Or, you know, it was based on a novel. Um, so, yeah, he likes to adapt. So his reading material must be super dark. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> every, all the time. He That's must what I'm be saying. Reading. He has a person... Whereas you might read somebody else's novels and, you know, like the, there are people who write novels that are all just like inspirational. Like Love Actually Guy. I know he doesn't write novels, but his movies are hopeful, inspirational to him. Like there's, there's love and goodness and romance and drama and happy endings. Uh, There's the occasional little sad downside, but mostly everything's flowers and roses and romance. That's just their vibe. It's his vibe. What's his name? The guy I love, actually, guy that you Richard love. Richard Curtis. Right. But yeah, and then but, his la- but his last one, not his last one, did have a lot of darkness to it. Um, about about time. It was pretty dark. Which one was that? The time okay. traveling one. About time. I have to think about it. Time traveling one. His father. I don't want to give anything away. We reviewed it on this show. <laughs> yeah, it was dark for one big reason. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, it's quite dark. Manipulation. That was David Fincher? No, that was Love Actually. Richard Curtis. <laughs> that was a dark movie for him, though. It was very personal, I think. It was his last movie. He's not doing it anymore. See, I think of that one as like a hapless romantic kind of a thing. It kind of is, but then it isn't. Like, it it, it has the beginnings of like, oh, it's going to be like Love Actually, but then it, what it ends up as is not really, not really what you would think it would be. It's not dark. It has grief. It's, it's, yeah, I don't, has think, a lot see, of I don't think grief is dark. and Death isn't dark. I'm talking about darkness as in... Yeah, murders and stuff. Not just murder, but like there's a side to people who, that wants to be deviant and do things that are 100% opposite of what they know will be a good outcome That it because it satiates a sexual or primal urge to like do something you know that's dark he is that's not dark that movie <laughs> no i'm it's dark just sad for him. it's got sad. a little sadness yeah. yeah uh well no actually the concept of what 
what you do in that movie is a and the actual realization of do you do it or not yeah because of the consequences kind of an awkward thing to think about so uh, the cast of Ergon Girl we start with Ben Affleck as Nick Dunn um you know we don't see Affleck a lot I don't feel apart from I mean he did the town he did Argo um and he's, he's Batman <laughs> and he's Batman <laughs> yeah um, but in this, I think this was a very different Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Ben Affleck to me. It was this guy, Nick. And I forgot about Ben Affleck. Fantastic. I mean, it was like a grown-up, like... And Argo was getting there too, I think. But this was like, I'm just going to live in this character, this Nick guy. How about the Malick one? Yeah. To that the was one sort one. of a Malick version of Ben Affleck. Yeah. Whereas this is like, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, this was really like, like he went into this guy, you know? That's what I said. There are elements of this person, the things happen, that I would think a, a very hugely famous person, and if you watch the movie, you'll know what I mean, will totally grasp, and I don't think it's much of a stretch to have to react to certain things, but there are moments where he's absolutely, I mean, there's a lot of variety, too. He gets a little funny, he gets a little sexy, he gets to be kind of charming, but that charm thing, that Ben Affleck thing... It's tiny. Yeah, like, he's it's tiny. Really, yeah, he's more like despondent, <laughs> affected by this whole thing, yeah. and, and down. Like it's it's a. And part of the idea of this character is he's he's not gonna react the way everybody quote unquote thinks you should. I don't. I'm not doing air quotes, but I mean thinking you should when the audience is watching and the world is watching and you don't behave a certain way. But you're actually in your mind. You're like, yeah, but I I'm not. I'm not that. Like, I can't react that way. So he's sort of, he's a little bit disgusted. The wife is missing. He doesn't react the way everyone thinks he should. No. He's kind of flat. And I think that was a good, uh, instead of him trying to be Mr. Charm all the time, I thought that was really good. Yeah, uh, Rosamund Pike plays Amy Dunn. Um, and she, She's really good. Yeah, she actually um, was nominated for the MTV Award for Best Villain of this year for that. It's pretty good. It's pretty... It's Villainous. A, yeah, villain, villainess. Um, but yeah, she has to, uh, it's interesting because her character is, you know, she's kind of messed up and she's, you know, I kind of said at the beginning, she, it doesn't even feel like a real person talking, Mm -hmm. but that's part of it. Like, like she's not, she isn't really a real person. She's this messed up, like amalgamation of things. But you see occasionally... Who she is, who, like, the core of her kind of shine through, and I then everything the, else is a piled on. I think um, when they... The money. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, they take... They, Yo, yeah, exactly. I think that's when you saw exactly who this character was. Um, excuse sits out with a <laughs> ringtone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm hanging up. All right, so, um, moving... Yeah, she was really, really excellent. I couldn't... She plays against Affleck really good too. I oh mean, yeah, it's... really good. They're, I mean, both of them awesome. Oh, everybody, everybody. And awesome. then Neil Patrick Harris plays Desi Collins. Collins, um, and it's like he's like a mysterious because he he wanders kind of in at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you're like, I don't even know who he's, who he's going to be, and then he, he becomes... well, they tell you. Yeah, I know, but like you don't <laughs> you don't know how he's going to be. Let me rephrase that. Um, and then when you do when we do finally meet up with him, it, it's very interesting. It's not what I'd expect from him. And that's a good thing. Like, it's not him being cheeky at all. Like, no, it's no, not, no. It's a, a different Neil Patrick Harris. Good. I, Very I, good. I didn't really, I don't know what to expect from him, really, because he's usually clowning around or... But 
I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Tyler Perry, who was actually really good. Tyler Perry's like this huge superstar who I is like off my map completely. It's like he's I didn't had, know who he was. He's had so many movies. He's like he's like. To one be of honest, the, I I was like, who is this guy? I he's one no of the idea. biggest grossing movie stars of the last ten years. He's had all these like Medea. I think it's called Medea. This series of movies that's huge. He's completely out of my... He's in my blind spot. I don't yeah. know who he is, really. I just know that he's this big guy who's got all these movies. They're not my kind of thing, so I don't watch them. But in this movie, holy shit, that guy. He was good. He was really natural. like. Yeah, just... I was like, oh, okay, that's Tyler Perry. He's a comedy kind of guy, so he's going to be cheeky, right? But no... He it, takes I... charge. He's like yeah. the lawyer. He takes charge, and you feel like he's just a lawyer they hired to be this guy. <laughs> But he was perfect for me. I, everything he said, I was like, yeah, that's what a... How, how much did he say he was? Like a... $100,000. $100,000. That's how a $100,000 lawyer would be to me. Like, he's slick. He knows every answer to your question. He will fix everything. Like, that's his thing. Like, And yeah, I've, he was surprised. I was like, wow, this guy. But let's get to the best one in the whole movie. Yeah, Carrie Coon, who I've actually spoke about. Um, we watched The Leftovers last year, and it's actually coming back to HBO uh, in July. You forgot the other lady. The really good lady. Cop, cop lady. Yeah, I did forget her. I didn't write it down. But uh, Carrie Coon, uh, firstly, is um, from The Leftovers, and she plays uh, Ben Affleck's sister. Margot. Go. I like that they call her Go. Yeah. And she was in The Leftovers, and she played this character who I thought was awesome. And there's one episode of The Leftovers from last season. The one where she goes to that conference. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. And it's a whole episode focused on her. And it is fantastic. I came, I was actually lagging a bit on The Leftovers. And that episode came on. And I was like, holy shit, I'm back into this show. Like it, it you know, like it was dropping a little bit for me. And that, her being in that episode was like, wow, this is, this, she's amazing. Like, but she plays his sister and she is, she's, Amazing, really. Really good. Like, gives it all Gives it all in. Yeah. And the other one is Kim Dickens. Kim Dickens, yes. Who, she uh, plays the, the cop, the detective lady. And she's she was the main, the head, shall we call her, or the madam from yeah. Deadwood, from, of the bar across the street. And you're, go, you're all Central. going to know who she is soon, because she's the lead actress in the Fear the Walking Dead. Do you think which, every person listening to this is going to watch that show? Well, <laughs> Walking Dead's so populous, there's a lot of people going to see this. The new Walking Dead spin-off, she's the lead actress She's in really it. good. She's yeah. good in this. She's really good, because she has a certain flatness about her, but a, a confidence that I think she's fearless. Like, you can see this cop lady who... I like the. I like they the pull bit, up in a shitty place where the mall has been defunct, debunked, whatever you call it, closed down, and it's now a refuge for all types. And she just walks in like there's no, and I, I buy it. She's not like tough. She's not threatening. She doesn't brandish her weapon or anything. She's literally just focused, focused, and like forging her way through this this case. When she walks into the house and she's just sticking these post-it notes yeah. like she's she notices things and she puts a post-it note and I was like it's just like together and a partner is just this dude. He's good. Really good. And he says like you know he says at one point when they're going in that place and she says I'll protect you. Yeah. Like, so she's kind of tough and she's also like. But she doesn't come off tough. No. That's what I'm saying. She's just like she could talk anybody out of anything kind of thing. I liked her a lot. Yeah. So directed by David Fincher, we mentioned Fight Club, Social Network, The Game, Dragon Tattoo. We all know who he is. He's excellent. <laughs> There's actually uh, no extras on this Blu-ray, but there is a commentary with David Fincher. So 
You know I'll be listening to that this week. Yep. Uh, I always listen to anything. So yeah, there are actually no extras on this Blu-ray. Even though, as with all David Fincher Blu-rays, it is a really awesome box set. It looks unlike any other Blu-ray. It's like um, it's not got the Blu-ray bar at the top because he hates it. It ruins Aye. the cover art. It, um, it's it is a good cover. It's a different shape and size to normal blue. Well, it's kind of a different thickness. And what it comes with, and this is fantastic, it comes with the... There's a book in the movie. Um, the Rosamund Pike's character is actually an author of a book. No, uh, her mother. Uh, yeah, Amazing Amy, it's called. And there is actually a proper like 52-page book in there, which is a replication of one of Amazing Amy's stories, which actually... When I pulled the Blu-ray out of the book, I was like, what the hell is this? I don't get it. Because it doesn't actually have anything on it. It doesn't even say on the book from the movie Gone Girl. It's just like a literal, like a, like a prop. Like it's like, it's like Finch's made it like, it doesn't say 20th Century Fox. It we didn't just, read it though. It could have hints in there. I was just the looking at it. I read some of it and it's, it's, uh, it's what I expected. It's an amazing Amy story. But, um, yeah, it comes with the Blu-ray. So, uh, yeah, it does have an extra, and it's an actual physical thing, which is interesting. So, um, conclusion on Gone Girl, I highly recommend it. It's um, thought-provoking, interesting. Um, people have been bitching about the ending, what I just read, but I thought it was fine. Did you? I enjoyed it. Were you bitching I, well, I don't about... know if enjoy is right. I mean, the people who were bitching about the ending were the people who read the book. If I read the book, I might have been, you know, I just read what the differences were. And well, yes, it doesn't affect you. No, <laughs> yes, it's different. The uh, book, and I, I enjoyed knowing about the, what was extra, but it does. I don't think it changes it. Yeah, it shouldn't. It's a movie on its own, and nothing else should matter. And therefore, it's good as a whole. I don't need other shit piling on top or telling me how it should have been or what was in the other medium. That and like I say, Gillian Flynn wrote the screenplay. And she also wrote the book, so you need... That doesn't make it good, just because... I don't mean that's good. I don't mean it makes it good. I mean, if you're complaining, it was the author of the book who did the screenplay. It wasn't like... You still might not like it. It wasn't like David Fincher wrote the screenplay. Then you could go, well, David Fincher screwed up the screenplay. But if the author writes the screenplay, that's what they want, you know? Well, if you still don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. And I don't think a book should measure how I like the movie. That's why I don't read books. I'd rather watch movies. I, I like both. You know what? Sometimes, though, I won't read a book because I know there's a movie coming of it. Which is stupid to do, I guess. <laughs> because the book's probably... Well, people say it's more fulfilling. It, it kind of is, in a way. Um, Ready Player One is being made into a movie. I don't wish I didn't read the book, though. Because the well, book no. was... I've read the book three times now. The book's really, like, fulfilling, so, you know... So uh, thank you to 20th Century Fox for this Blu-ray. And if you want to enter a contest, we'll have a new one this week. You can win some new Blu-rays, uh, including These Final Hours from Wellgo USA. It's a apocalypse film about the last day on Earth, which I always like, the last yeah, day on Earth. Yeah, I do story. too. So you can win a copy of that on Blu-ray. Just check at aschoolie.com this week and you will be able to enter. Um, next week's Blu-ray review will be Inherent Vice by Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson being my favourite director... Of all time. So um, I am so excited to see his new film. I have had the opportunity to see his film since it came out. Um, but I waited and didn't even look at it or get any spoilers or anything until next week when we see it. So movie recommendations. I am going with, on the subject of Gone Girl, one of Fincher's movies, Fight Club, 
which I still think is great and st- it hasn't when people say oh it's aged and it shows its age and all I don't feel it has I still feel like it's got an interesting thing to say and it's a really fun movie in a real fucked up way right and the other one is on the Ben Affleck tip is The Town which I feel is like everybody loved Argo but I feel The Town is Affleck's directing it's my favourite one of his obviously because it has a it's like a heist movie it's really good though I mean it's high quality it is my out of the three Affleck movies um, Gone Baby Gone The Town and um, Argo I like The Town I think The Town is my favourite one it's really I just think it captures that place and time you know the rough city he likes short titles doesn't he yes he does Gone Girl Gone Baby Gone well, The gone. Town Batman <laughs> he likes the word gone the Batman well, um, so what are your recommendations mine are going to be Birthday Girl which is different obviously very very different but Nicole this movie Kidman. and character remind me of Nicole Kidman in whatever that other one was that she was in when she won the Academy Award she plotted the that these teenagers kill her husband and I always forget the something beauty or something like that I don't remember but it reminded me of that sort of a there's this there's a Stepford Wives version of a person that's perfect and alluring and cool and interesting, and then there's the the you flip the switch and she's psychotic. Yeah, behind the the pretty face, and the other one is Love You to Death, which is actually a comedy. Kevin Klein, Tracy Ullman, and it's a total comedy, but it also has involves the plot of. Doing away with the husband. <laughs> so there's all, all those are sort of like in there. Okay, so there's our recommendations for this week. And that yeah. one's really old, by the way. It's pretty old. Yeah, I don't, 80s, I, don't, I think. I think I've seen it. I don't know. I don't 100% know. So, uh, games and A Scully stuff this week. I, um, was, ca- uh, Roku was kind enough to send me a Roku box in the mail because I was been messing around with Plex, the Plex server, which is, um, a server where you can put all your videos on it. You put all your videos on your PC and music and pictures, and then you can serve them up to, you know, different places in your house where you've got a computer or a box. Well, the Roku box is a tiny little, what would you call it? It's not a PC. (laughs) Tiny little uh, set-top box, would you call it? Uh, Even though it's not set-top because it's so small, you can just hide it somewhere. But um, I set that up this week, and... uh, I think it's really cool. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. It has... It lets you play all your media off your home server. You know, whatever it be. Like TV shows or movies or whatever. In fact, we watched um, Hunger Games last night off it. Um, but it also has incorporated into it HBO Go, Netflix, um, Amazon Video, Hulu. And they're all there in one place. So you're not having to flick inputs to go from one thing to another and... Oh, I've got to go here for HBO. I've got to turn the PlayStation on for this, and it's all just there in one box. And you know, you just sign into all your accounts, and you want to watch Netflix, you can. You want to watch HBO, you can. Uh, we'll have to test it tomorrow night by watching Game of Thrones on HBO Go instead. You know, that way around to see how that works. <clears throat> but um, it's the Roku Three, which is the newest Roku. Um, and why that's different from the 2 and the 1 is it does 1080p video, which is like the highest quality. Um, it's wireless, Wi-Fi, or wired. And I just wired it because all our house is wired. For, we have Ethernet going through the ceilings and the walls. Um, 
I wouldn't recommend Wi-Fi ever for streaming video. It's kind of a pain in the ass, do you not think? Depends on what you're watching. I mean, I'm on a laptop and I mean, I it's it all fine the time. on the tablet. And my laptop is great. Yeah, but if you're watching like anything, you're watching a whole movie that's high quality. Yeah. yeah, it's it can end up buffering, and there's nothing worse than something buffering while you're watching it. For me, you know, if you're watching a movie and then it's like buffer, buffer, buffer. I wire everything, just so you never have that issue, do you? You never have an issue with the wire. It just is good. So um, that's the Roku Roku Three. You can get it from Roku.com. They're like a hundred bucks actually, ninety nine ninety nine. Which, if you don't have all that stuff on your TV, Netflix, etc., it's actually a cheap way of getting it all to your TV. Because not all TVs are smart TVs. And as we know, sometimes the apps in your smart TV aren't quite that up to snuff, are they? Correct. The Netflix app in our TV, while it looks great and everything, it is not 100% reliable, is it? Sometimes you press to watch a show, and there's a little bar that just sits there and never... Never buffers the video up, even though it's nothing to do with your internet connection because the internet's fine, and you can go and do it on another player like the PS3, and it's perfectly fine. So the Netflix app in our TV has always been funny. In fact, funny enough that you don't use it sometimes because you think, "Oh, that's going to be a pain." Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Roku's Netflix, and I have tried it out this week on different files. It is hundred percent reliable. If you click to watch a film. Or a video, it comes up immediately. There's no buffering, alright, it just comes up. So, I will give it that. And yeah, smart TVs, maybe they've improved. Um, you know, they're not always the greatest for the apps that come with them. So that's the Roku, you can get that at Roku.com. I've been playing a game on Steam called Adventure Capitalist. It's free, you can play it on Steam, you can play it on Steam, you've got Steam right there. Um, As I build my new map for my city's skyline. Have you ever heard of the game Cookie Clicker? No. It was a website game that was popular like last year, and it's like like you say lemonade stand, but you click mm-hmm. you you click 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 and you make oh, money. Right. Now this takes that one step further. This one is like it's a venture capitalist. You buy things like you start off with lemonade stands because they're tribute into lemonade stands. And you end up buying banks and oil rigs and there's all kinds of things that you end up buying. But the idea is to make as much money as possible. And there is a game to it. You've got to buy things in certain order and then this is the interesting part. Every so often, you've made billions and billions of dollars. You look at your little chart and it says angel investors have come on board. And they keep coming on board. The the amount of money you earn, these investors start coming on board. And then what it says is, you've got 10,000 angel investors. And you're like, oh, that's cool. But it says, these angel investors do nothing unless you reset the game to zero. Uh. When you reset the game to zero, you get 10,000 angel investors. And what they do is, everything you do from then on, each one of them multiplies it by 2%. So the idea is to like know when to reset and cash in these angel investors and then keep going. And eventually you'll be earning so much money, you'll get to the end of the game. The end of the game is to buy the Earth. You actually own the Earth at the end. That's the last achievement that you can get. It seems to me, from playing it and resetting it every day, I've been resetting every day. And you know, like, you get so good at it, you can just open it, reset it, click what you need, and then close it and come back the day after. You only need five minutes on it. It's not really getting good at it, is it? Well, yeah, it is, because you know what to buy and how many of each thing to buy to maximize the profits. You have to look at the... Um, it seems to me to buy the earth, you might have to play it for a whole year. 
it's ah, that it's right. that huge so a venture capitalist it's free on steam it's really fun if you like watching numbers and doing a little bit of math to try and calculate your profits um this week uh on a different piece of news it was the star wars celebration which is the big celebration they have every year where you go and they have you know press conferences and you know panels with the cast and crew this year is pretty special because there is going to be a new star wars movie and I watched it live on the internet. They did uh, an hour-long uh, Force Awakens panel, which featured three of the main actors. Actually, no. It featured Mark Hamill was there. Uh, Carrie Fisher was there. Anthony Daniels was there. Peter Mayhew was, was there. who plays Chewbacca. And th- the th- new three new stars of the new movie, the, I don't know their names yet, um, but they were there too. John Boydager is one of them. Um... And it was a J.J. Abrams was there, and Kathleen Kennedy was there, who's the producer of Star Wars now. And they just had a big, you know, it was just a question and answer kind of session. It was really cool because Disney are handling Star Wars so well with the spoilers. They don't, they're not unveiling anything hardly, which is great in my opinion. And at the end of the conference, they just said just one more thing, and the new Star Wars trailer came on. Um, and it's the second teaser trailer. We saw the first teaser trailer and it was just, for me, mind-blowing. It was like, oh my God, Star Wars is back. Really, is back. Now, this second one takes it even further than that, right? You've seen this trailer. It doesn't give anything away, I don't think, again. because it's Because no, it's out all. of context, but it's got that... It, it, it has Luke narrating over the top of it. And he says, you know, uh, I don't can't give you the exact words, but it's like, the Force is strong in my family. I have it, my sister has it, now you have it. And it's this voiceover over the top. And you get to see like the iconic imagery, like Darth Vader's helmet all melted on the floor. You see the X-Wings flying by. And, you know, then you see some clips from the new movie, some of the new characters. But it doesn't really make any sense, it's just Star Wars. It feels like Star Wars. And then the Star Wars The Force Awakens logo comes up, and then it fades to black. And then it comes back up, and there's Han Solo and Chewie. And he says, Chewie, we're home. And it's like... <gasps> it makes you it makes you shake just thinking of it, doesn't it? Yeah. You're going to watch it as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> it's like, you know, that, it's like that nerd... You get like this nerd... Um, <laughs> Nerdgasm, as they like to say. Yeah, it's just like, oh my God. Han Solo and Chewie stood on the, on the Millennium Falcon. And it's quite clear this is not a clip from the old Star Wars. It's, it's Han and Chewie now. Like it's, and well, it's like, how can you tell Chewie? He just looks the same. Yeah. Han, well, remember the, Han Solo is now old. Wookiees last a long, long time. Remember the, mm-hmm. their um. That's what I'm saying. You can't tell years. how old he is. Yeah, but it is pretty awesome, and I can't wait until December when Star Wars: The Force Awakens comes out. And Disney have been so good with the like. Let's not spoil it for everybody, but let's like give you some nostalgia along the way of like this is coming back, you know, but not giving you every single detail, which is cool. Uh, and finally. I've been playing Grand Theft Auto V on the PC. This is the first Rockstar game I have actually purchased three times. I own it on the PS3, I own it on the PS4, and now the PC. Now, you would think, why would I want to play the same game three times? Well, Rockstar have actually, instead of just bringing it to the PC and it being exactly the same, uh, it is exactly the same, don't get me wrong, it's the same game. But because the PC is technologically better than the consoles, it just is. They Instead of running at 30 frames per second, it, it runs at 60 frames per second. And you might think, well, 
what, what difference is that? Well, it adds like so much smoothness to the whole thing, and the visuals look just that much better for the extra frame rate. They've also added, and this is one of my favourite things in the whole thing, a new radio station. And the new radio station is called Self Radio. And what it is, you drag all your favourite songs into the folder, into the GTA folder. There's a folder called Radio. And uh, when you choose that radio station, when you get in a car, it plays your songs. Like So it doesn't just play your songs, it goes further than that. In between each of your songs, there's a DJ, a brand new DJ that's not actually, it's not recycled, it's a new one, who says things in between, and the news comes on in between your songs, and then they've done it cleverly, so like your song fades in underneath the DJ, so it sounds like he's playing it, instead of it just stopping and starting. It's really a cool thing, so I've really not listened to the other radio stations, I've just been listening to my own the entire time. And here's a tip, if you like Howard Stern, just drag the Howard Stern file into the uh, folder, and uh, when you get in a car, the Howard Stern show is on, which is really cool. I just drove around listening to it yesterday. How do you get Howard Stern on your computer? You can just get it from Sirius. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So just drag that file into the um, folder and uh, Howard Stern's on on your GTA radio, which is crazy. Or whatever you listen to, if you can get it off the internet. Um, so, yeah, aside from that, it is GTA Five. There's no new missions or anything, but it has had an overhaul in a big way. Like, um, shadows look better. The draw distance is better. It's super smooth the entire time. It's obvious that Rockstar had this in mind when they made it. But when the three it came out when the 360 was out, and you only have a certain amount of horsepower to play with, so they probably downscaled all that, but still had this version running, but eventually it comes to the PC, so um, you can get that now. So that is it for my stuff this week. Sid Tart, what's for dinner? Tonight is leftover pasta with snazaroo, Paul Newman's snazaroo sauce. And, yeah, that's uh, actually good salad. pasta sauce. It is really good. Paul Newman makes it himself. <laughs> that's what he does now. You like to think in his kitchen that he's there making this one jar at a time. And he's like, I, I can't so. make movies anymore. <laughs> Your mom said he was dead, though. She thinks so. I don't think yeah, so. No, I don't he's think not so. dead. No. We would know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, so that's it. Well, salad and that. And my advice is, uh, oh, and some nan bread, which doesn't go with pasta with Italian type sauce, but I don't care. And my advice is, grow something. Now, I'm not an outdoorsy type. I don't spend a lot of time outdoors. Yesterday, I spent out a lot of time outdoors because I was planting my little seedlings that I've been plant- growing now since, I don't even know, January something. And I was itching to get them started. I don't care that much about gardening. I'm not doing it for food. I'm not a survivalist. It's like people who think because we're vegetarian, we're animal rights activists. No, you're mistaken. Everyone who does a thing or has a thing isn't something else just because of that thing. It isn't like a label that then is associated with the whole uh, stereotype. So I'm not an outdoorsy person. However, when you take a stupid little seed, and I'm talking little, like the head of a pin. P-I-N. Pin. No, stupid. You put it in some dirt. I call it dirt, not soil. I'm from the country. That's what we call it. It's the dirt. I call it compost. And then you add some... Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've told the public, but I love your British accent. I love men with accents. But I've discovered over the years that there are a couple words that British and Australian people say. Similarly. Because we say it correctly, you say it wrong. No, I'm not saying it's wrong. 
that drives me insane. I say to you, what do you call that thing that holds up a fence? And you say a post. post. So well, why, I'll how say do, post. How do you describe, how do you say C-O-M-P-O-S-T? Compost. Compost. <laughs> just makes me like... How does that, it compost? <laughs> say compost. But imagine if that's how it sounded in your head. Balls. <laughs> and I call it... Because we go and we... What's a person on a film who organizes everything called? Director. No. Producer. Producer, right? Produce. P-R-O-D-U-C-E. You go to the grocery store and there's a bunch of fresh stuff there. What do you call it? Produce. Yes, the same fucking... It's the same. (laughs) You spell it the same. You should say it the same. We shouldn't. Okay, maybe growing things is where I get out my frustration. Like, I'm a very impatient person, mostly. I don't like waiting around for stuff, you know. But for some reason, when I plant that little stupid seed, and then I water it a little bit, I put it on the heating pad, put it in the window, and then in days I look at it and go, oh, "Holy shit! There's like, there's like a thing growing there." That and they seed, do, they do. It's yeah. crazy, don't they? They sprout up. I've like actually crazy. got my little system kind of worked out. I mean, it's only been two or three years I've been doing it, so in time I'll probably have, like, have a greenhouse a cool, eventually. Uh, we made like, what do you call that box that we made out of an old? It's actually just a Arrogant. tub Arrogant. with a lid, like a big tub that you put a bunch of crap in. But we put computer, big 120 millimeter fans in the ends, computer and there's a power fans. supply down inside the other tub that it's sitting on. So the bottom one's like dark blue, you can't see it. The top one's clear. Put the fans in there. So that when the seedlings start getting a little bit bigger, I set them down the bottom, turn the fans on, and that is like what they call hardening off, so that your little seedlings, you don't just take them from inside and throw them outside because the wind and everything. They so like a bit of air. That's my first. little little tip. It's a real contraption <laughs> made out of old pieces. So stuff. see how I can get really involved in the process. I'm already thinking like, hmm, what other seedlings can I start now, even though it's almost summer, that then I can put out in the middle of summer, and then by fall and winter I can be having stuff. This hasn't happened to me before. This is new. Because just yesterday, I put all the seedlings outside. Like, there you go, little babies. You've just graduated into the world. Now, your your interpretation of that is, now all I have to do is water everything. Yep. That's kind of it. So now I want to start some more. Because it's just, and I don't know, it's satisfying. And the tomatoes that you grow on yourself are so much better yeah, than the Yeah, but last year we had like zero that we ate, I think. Yeah, because they, they were blight. all infested with these weird... It was infested. They had blight, which meant I either yeah, didn't water them correctly or the soil that's in my raised bed that I built. We had them the year before and they were amazing. They were. That's why this year I put a bunch on the deck again. So people don't care. But I'm just saying, it's a thing. And it doesn't have to be like go outside and do shit. I'm saying buy one little packet of seeds, one pot, sit it in your kitchen table, and there's some sunshine. Or a lamp. I used a crappy lamp this time to help the yeah. seedlings, and it worked fine. Yep. And just, uh, if it, two or three or four weeks along, you're like, this is really boring, then just throw it out in the yard and it'll just do its thing. It'll either die or it'll feed something or it'll grow. All right. So let me remind you about our website, uh, aschoolie.com, sitar.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch this show on stitcher.com. Just go to stitcher.com, search for after the show. You can catch it on iTunes, the Microsoft Music thing, and the RSS feed. Go to aschoolie.com, click on the word podcast. Everything you need to do to subscribe is there. You can email feedback to me at ascully at ascully.com. Ascully is A-S-C-U-L-L-Y, by the way. I keep saying it, but I'm assuming you know how to spell it. Um, you can not email Sid Talk. She really doesn't want your shit. And finally... That's not 100% accurate. 
Stay classy, Mr. David Fincher. Really looking forward to what he does next. Rumours are he might go back to the dragon tattoo thing and finish it off. But we'll see. He's going to finish off the girl in the dragon tattoo? And I'm going to say, think for yourself. Because if you're not doing it, someone is definitely doing it for you.